Welcome to Farming the Depths of Eternal, a constructed podcast all about brewing. Each episode, we do a deep dive on a card and brew some decks around it and see how far we can take it. I'm Patrick or Patamaru Online, and this week we have a special guest, I'm Straight, from WSG on to discuss, uh, I guess, I don't know if we could call it a recent promo anymore, but uh, this this uh, this episode has been in the making for a couple weeks, but we're going to discuss um, Vara Death's Master. So, uh, welcome to the show, uh, Straight. Hello. Um, happy to be here. Thank you again yeah, for coming uh, on, yeah. It's been, in, it's been in the making for a few weeks. Uh, uh, we, we, ha- we, we tried, couldn't come together, uh, but uh, we're here now, uh, so I'm sure it will be a great, uh, a great episode. Yeah, you, you don't have to be so... My, it was all my fault. I got sick, then my... Or my child got sick, then I got sick. Still sort of sick, but uh, I figured I can only hold this episode off for so long. Yeah, so uh, I think we should get right into it. Um, so I want I kind of want to do a look back because, you know, we've talked about a lot of ducks in our episode so far, and I finally got a chance to play some of them. And uh, so the first one uh, from, you know, last episode, we did, uh, we talked about our binding agreement. And so one of your decks was the rebuild combo. And so I played a bunch of games over the uh, now, I guess, last month. And I thought it was kind of interesting because I know you love making these combo decks and these very low interaction combo decks. And uh, so I guess I just wanted to ask you more about like, are you sure we can't like just like play like five through eight of interaction in this deck. Yeah, so so this is um, the rebuild uh, rebuild combo deck. Yeah, which, sorry if uh, I didn't say that. That was playing uh, that was playing binding agreements, and I, I I'll be honest, I did make some changes to the deck. I, I played it more and more and more, um, and uh, ironically, uh, binding agreement found its way out of the deck by the time I made changes to it. Um, and I put the reset the day into the deck. So going back, I guess, to the interaction, I, after playing it a bunch, it didn't necessarily feel like I was missing interaction as much as um, I kind of went back to uh, a weakness of inherent weakness of the deck in that it, it centers itself around rebuild. Um, but there's only four of them in the deck, and there's no way to search for them. So it kind of it kind of falls to the detriment of not being able to draw the rebuilds um, if you don't have it in your starting hand. And sometimes I would use up all my available redraws down to six and just never see the card. And I think those are the 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 matches that I ended up losing more than anything else uh, because it has enough units to, to kind of block... Um, some of the damage coming to you early on and ultimately i think any most of the most of the times that i'd lose was more um when i didn't draw a rebuild versus you know missing more pieces of interaction um the deck also does whiff a decent amount of the time i mean it can you know gain a bunch of life with rebuild and progress its board but it doesn't end up actually just winning that turn um and I think adding more cards that don't 
help with what you're doing would probably make that even worse. Um, so I'm not sure. I think if there's any changes to the deck, it would almost be like cutting some of the, to me, cutting some of the like evangels or something like that, uh, mm -hmm. potentially to to make some more changes there. But I'm, but I'm not sure how to how to improve the deck any further. Yeah. So what was? I have a few thoughts with this. I, I guess number one is so what were well, questions? I guess uh, what what was the uh, impetus between like adding reset the day over binding agreement? Were you just finding binding agreement wasn't drawing you enough cards in the deck? Um, it would draw you enough cards, but because of how much emphasis you were putting into doing this one thing with rebuild and then drawing cards after, it really was not great when you drew two of your two drops and just stopped. Um, it would basically mean that you would lose the game outright almost. And it didn't seem like the additional power to definitively draw the seven cards was that unlikely. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't so difficult to achieve that. So the the breakpoint difference didn't come up very often. And then it seemed just that drawing seven cards for sure and making both players draw seven cards also that's a, so that the incineration from the market um, did damage was... It seemed like a better upside. It was more reliable. It felt it felt a lot better when when I played it. Yeah, yeah. No, I I like that incineration. Um, the fact that reset the day plays better with incineration. You know, like this might just not be a great uh, binding agreement deck, especially because, like you mentioned, it is pretty heavy on low low drops. You know, you have sixteen two drops in in the deck as we had posted it. The other card that I I just wonder about excavate and yeah um just like could you explain to me its role in this deck like is that a thing you kept kept with going forward yeah um I think it's very necessary um fortunately unfortunately um it's so the, the purpose for excavate more than any other card so there I guess there's two reasons one is once once a rebuild comes back, um, it has destiny. Uh, what you do is you use Excavate to put it on top of your deck and then play a draw spell afterwards. And that keeps cycling through um, and it generates more and more power um, as you go through. The, the other way that you can play the, the card is if you know you have a bunch of rebuilds on the top of your deck, and you're going to play Reset the Day or Wrath of Kyphus or something like that, you can play your Excavate before you do that and put a put a draw spell on top of your deck as well so that you know that you're going to draw into another draw spell to kind of keep going. So it just, as you're going off, it acts like additional rebuilds and additional draw spells, which is kind of like the only thing you want to be hitting uh, other than maybe a Smuggler or Kairos. Um, so I, I think, I think they're very important. I, I don't remember if we had three in the initial list, but they're definitely up to four for me at this point. Yeah. Um, and so then in the initial spin down in the market is the, the additional sort of like same effect. 
Right. Yeah, the um Yeah, it's it the initial list did have uh, three in the main deck. Yeah, I guess maybe I'm just used to playing non-excavate versions of the deck. I just like hated drawing this pre pre-rebuild. Um, right. Which was maybe the problem. And maybe my my issue with the deck was uh, probably twofold, I, I wonder. is One, I was playing it in silver, which has a lot of aggro. So, <laughs> so I was losing a lot, which is probably why I was like very often wishing the Excavate was another low-cost interaction piece. But also, <laughs> even though I played this deck you know, built as a, a very combo heavy deck, like, like the, the deck we highlighted um, la last episode, I still kind of played it in those games where you don't get your rebuild kind of just like, you know, doing everything you can to keep getting turns. Cause if you do top deck rebuild, then, you, then you win. So it's just like, you're, blocking your chump blocking you're just trying to like torch or you know uh all-nighter or uh you know in the last episode i had mentioned the the two cost spell that refreshes your power um you know just use this cheap interaction to sort of hold off the initial offensive by your opponents to just give you enough time to to find your combo pieces because once you do you do whiff in a sense but you also can do some pretty powerful things if as long as you have rebuild and a draw spell <laughs> and, right. and um, are alive yeah and i think so so my approach to playing the deck or, or i guess the most success that i found is hard mulliganing to rebuild right um like never keeping a hand that even had a bunch of catalyze or looting or something like that and try to hope to get there because um it usually didn't work out i'm in terms of how successful interaction can be against some of the strong aggressive decks is i i don't think that by adding a little bit more interaction that would help help the deck be able to fight into an aggro deck that well mm -hmm. um, overall. So I think it's a little bit, you would be, it feels at least to me um, that you would be diluting the chances of the deck to do what it does, but without necessarily increasing its ability to fight aggressive decks that much. Um, I did often find myself getting to a break point of, um, six power like five power plus not having made a, a power drop and then kind of draconic looting to to hope to draw into power plus rebuild situations and sometimes it would work out and sometimes it wouldn't um but it it if the deck if the deck doesn't have a rebuild i think its chances of winning are very low yeah. um it, yeah i think that kind of what it what it ends up falling back on i don't think it's so much a detriment of lack of interaction in this case. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because it, it's 
it's interesting because like i view like the like you know i keep bringing up excavate but like you know the way you talked about excavate is like how important it is once you were doing the combo and i just like i just wanted more ways to get to the combo and then <laughs> and then just like right. you know so it, i i it's it's just like interesting how you know like cards can you know you make these choices depending on sort of what you're hoping to do with the deck mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah all right well that's i just wanted to talk about it i i do love this deck i was like i was struggling a little bit uh with it where um where i was i'll also be interesting to to see any updates uh that you did to it yeah definitely i can definitely share that with uh Maybe I can post it on Eternal Warcry, and then that way we can um, we can have it available for for you and for anybody else who might want to see uh, changes that um, that have taken place for the deck. Cool. So then the other deck from uh, last episode that I uh, selfishly want to talk about was uh, the fifty hmm. the forty eight power world pyre deck that I that I posted. Uh, did you have any thoughts of it after <laughs> after playing it for a bit? Because um, Honestly, I had sort of had the idea for the deck um, for a little while, but then I didn't really get a chance to play it. So when we did that episode, actually, I hadn't even played a game of it. And then I played it and then I kept winning with it. And I was like, I kind of shocked myself with, uh, especially after we did a bunch of your changes that you had mentioned. Um, like, yeah. uh, you know, you I had, I had forgotten about the card Send an Envoy, which was like, is the most incredible card in the deck, actually. Uh, I think so. <laughs> I, think so. I think so, too. But, yeah. Besides for Binding Agreement itself. Um, but yes, yeah, so I just was wondering, uh, after you got to play around with it, uh, what did you think? So, yeah, so at the time, I was uh, I was pretty high uh, in, in the Masters rank, and, and when I, I kind of picked it up and played it a bunch just for, for fun, because I felt... Um, little stagnant it, and i ended up also winning a whole lot of games with it um i think maybe coming out of left field for some for some folks like not having to know what to expect there um it definitely very fun to play um very very fun that binding agreement just just draws you 12 cards pretty much every time yeah I just I the, my favorite part is just like what, thinking about what my opponents must be thinking or like <laughs> about what a luxac I am or something. <laughs> I have had uh, quite a few people concede to just the fact of drawing twelve cards, even though probably I mean most of the cards that I drew were were power. Um, still, people just get intimidated by it. I suppose they would just concede. Um, so. In terms of any changes, so I don't, I don't think I, I had some ideas about it, and um, the primarily primarily centered around um, trying crack the earth as a market effect um, because it's able to kind of get some interesting cards out of your deck, and it's also able to be a uh, ramp um, card with Arc of Soul in the market. Um, but I think realistically, now that 
kind of everybody is, I want to say preparing for throne, but now that everybody's kind of focusing more on throne and we don't have, um, we have people playing, I don't want to say more serious decks, but uh, definitely decks that have a, a much different tempo to what it feels like the decks that we were playing against uh, a little while back when we were in expedition season or in draft season. Uh, so it's felt like the deck at this point is going to probably have a really hard time into the, the current meta. Yes. I I mean, I will say I am 1-0 against Overloader combo with this deck. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I've never lost with this deck. Well, that's a really good record. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think this deck, unfortunately, also cannot beat aggro decks very well or high tempo decks because since I went so hard in on um, making that diversity of costs that Apple Chips talked about uh, last episode and only having two one drops, two two drops, and uh, two three drops does not give you a lot of wiggle room <laughs> for early interaction. <laughs> That's right. No, I, I, I agree. I've, I tried versions that was were basically um, kind of heavy heavy justice and were playing um, equalize mm-hmm. to kind of combat that, but still, it you know, it, it's going to have a hard time uh, when you only have four, four cards in your deck that you're hoping to, to kind of get to even, even if your deck is a 50 power deck, so you get to see a particular card more often than you would otherwise. Yes, exactly. If like World Pyre was more like that, uh, um, oh shoot, there's a magic card that uh, allows you to play. Uh, you can't play. You can only play two cards per turn, um, and of cost equal to your power. I think. Okay. And then you can play them for free, and. But it, it allows you to play that card and then play like another four or five cost card that same turn. And like if World Pyre will let you do that, like if you if I'm, you get like a free activation, then the deck would be a lot, lot better. But it's just so tough when you're fighting Fire Aggro and your turn four is World Pyre. For sure. When, um, when very important things are happening in the format, like most decks that are now competitive or like let's say the top tier of decks are they're doing a whole lot of things in the first four turns of, of, of the game. Um it's it's kind of it's slightly a non starter when your first play is is kind of on turn four sometimes. Yeah. It's uh you won't end up having a good time. Yes. I agree. But I I I was just wanted to point out if anyone was because uh, I was kind of like talking the deck down in the episode, being like, "I know this is ridiculous," but yeah, <laughs> but then I actually played it, and I was like, "Wow, this isn't as ridiculous as <laughs> I thought it was." So I mean, it was a blast. Honestly, it's just like very, it's a very fun deck to play. Um, yeah. All right, and then uh, I wanted to do a, a way, way, way callback and um, talk about Olin, who has uh, been coming up a, a, a bit recently with. Uh, kind of the new, I guess, uh, scourge of the throne format. Um, um, the elephant in the room. Yeah, I mean, you know, there. I think there's some coincidental timing here with uh, 
with uh, someone figuring out this deck after a podcast talked about this card. But uh, that deck is, uh, yeah, the Rakano Overloader combo with Olin. Um, I mean, surely they, they saw my uh, Rakano Officer deck and saw the, the, the cool card combinations that I had in there. They decided to... Uh, to apply it to other places. No, I'm kidding. I know. I'm sure just, this was, was a the big problem. The, <laughs> the big issue is you picked the wrong build around combo card. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's when when you know when you're a hammer, everything is a nail. So every uh, when in in the sense that I I have a soft spot for eccentric officers, so I I keep trying to brew eccentric officer decks. Although I also like overloader a lot. So oh, and um, overloader was right there for us. It was, it was. Um, so yeah, so for for the listeners, we're talking about the Arcana Overloader deck, um, which you are have likely run into uh, if you've played uh, Throne recently, uh, which has Olin in it. And um, like we brought up with Olin, the type of card or the type of effect that it has is inherently very powerful. So even if at the time we were saying, you know, not very very many decks have played it or have found use for it. It's something. It's a. It's a the kind of effect in card games that you, um, it, not quite a ticking time bomb, but it's it's. There's gonna be a day that it's gonna come up where it's gonna be very powerful, and I think this deck is an example of that. When you have something, some kind of combination of things or units or something that you would need to find, and once you do, you kind of win the game. Um, then an effect like. That, that goes in tutors that is not very common, something between only Rujan's Choice and Olin, um, it, it kind of becomes a very powerful, powerful effect. Yeah, and, and uh, we're not going to read the whole deck list right here, um, but uh, I will post the deck. But the the two uh, units in this deck, besides for Olin, um, are uh, Overloader, the namesake card, and then Nakus Bastion of Prodigy, which is uh, a one-cost Rakano card that's a 1-1. One, one, and it says, when you play a spell or weapon directly on, on Nakus, amplify 1, give Nakus uh, plus 1, plus 1. And so that's what's so what makes Olin so incredible in this deck, I think, is that it can get either, either part of the combo. It can get Overloader if you have uh, Amplify in your hand, or it can get uh, Nakas if you have Overloaders and need some Amplify. That's right. Um, yeah, and it's sometimes a little bit awkward because you have to put them at the top of your deck. They don't necessarily come to your hand. So if you don't have everything else that you need, um, the timing of when you play Olin or when you play your Rujin's Choice uh, in order to fetch those two units, um, can be tricky. So it's something definitely to consider um, how you how you time these kind of tutor effects. Um, yeah, and then uh, do you want to go in what I think because Nakas isn't a card that we've really seen. So what what is the point of this card in in the deck? How how are people using it? Yeah. So so. Overloader has been a card that has seen play over, I'll say, the years, I guess, at this point um, in Eternal. The 
what it does is it's it's an engine for generating very large amounts of power. Um, and once you have large amounts of power, there are multiple different ways that you can approach winning the game. So beforehand, the way that Overloader was used is in combination most often with uh, a card called Machinations, which uh, is a shadow spell uh, that costs six with three shadow. And you would pay um, initially one life and then after it was nerfed two life to amplify the card once. Um, and what it did was it looked at the top cards of your deck and you could pick two cards out of them. And every time you amplified, you got to see more cards. So the point was that you would play Overloader, you would play Machinations, you would generate large amounts of power, and then you could use some other cards to win the game. Well, Nakus, which is the second unit that we talked about, allows you to amplify using its effect, and it allows you to play um, some cards that are very inexpensive, zero cost, in fact, um, which which is a it's a very it allows you to go off very early because one of the important parts of the overloader combos that have existed, the hardest part to do is to kind of get started. How much your initial how much initial power you have available to you so that you can get started generating chaining together amplify effects generate large amounts of power. So that's the biggest hurdle or the biggest like burden for the deck is is kind of your startup cost. These are very small units. You don't want to just play them uh, a turn before you try to go off most of the time because they're very easy to, to remove and interact with. You tend to want to try to play them the same turn that you're going to try to combo. Right. And, and so in the old versions, if uh, people are familiar, you sort of, you needed over, in your hand, you really wanted to have overloader, uh, uh, amplify spell and machinations so that you could start drawing through your deck to find more amplify spells or more, more draw or more ways or a way to kill. Is that? Kind yeah. Of so, yeah. So, um, kind of going back to the very original deck and I can speak about some of my more, more recent, um, versions that I've also, uh, day two with. So originally the deck was uh, menace colors, so fire, shadow, primal, and the the amplify card that it would use to to kind of net one power as it was trying to go off with machinations was hardiness, uh, which is a one cost primal spell um, that amplifies for one power and gives a unit plus uh, zero plus two for every time you've amplified it. So on five open on five open power, you would play your overloader, which costs one, and then you would play your hardiness, which costs another one that, that would leave you a remaining three power, and you would amplify it three times. Now, for each amplify that you played, overloader would give you two power back. So after you played 
Overloader plus hardiness, you would go from five total power that you had up to six power. And that would allow you to play machinations, which cost six, and amplify it uh, for however much life you could pay into it, which would then amplify very, like a lot of times and would generate very large amounts of power with Overloader. Uh, it would also allow you to draw into either more amplify cards, or if you just had enough power from that machinations, you could um, play one of your uh, tutor effects like Realign the Stars, which allows you to uh, look through your deck and pick a card that has Amplify and put it into your hand um, and search out one of your uh, kill spells. Uh, or there's traditionally, it was always Pyrotech, which uh, is a three cost deal, four damage, and then for Amplify five, you double it. Um, and the breakpoint there is at 18 power, it would do 32 damage, which is kind of the you, the usual breakpoint that you'd have to hit. So you'd have to generate 18 power and find yourself a pyrotech explosion, and then that would be enough to kill your opponent. Uh, at more recent times, there was a new card that was added, which was Detonation Cannon, uh, and that is a two-cost, two-one um, relic weapon, and it's has an amplify effect of pay three to play a detonate which is a four damage spell so with that one you have a slightly higher uh damage breakpoint. but the significance with that one is that it only has one red influence requirement versus the two red that pyrotech has um so that was kind of the original deck since then like i i kind of put my hands on it uh over a long period of time and I converted it into a four-color deck um, so that it could play Rujan's Choice uh, together with uh, another player called um, Earth's Overseer. Um, so we worked on that deck together quite a bit. Um, and I, I, I think I, I will give him a lot, lots of credit for kind of where it's at right now, but, but I think it's significantly stronger. Um, in fact, with some additions and kind of, I don't want to get too far into it because it it is it is a contender that I may I may be considering next uh, in the next throne open, um, but but in in essence, it by reducing the cost of cards um, be, to to kind of help with that initial burden of going off, the deck does have the capability of going off as early. Turn three, turn turn four is relatively viable, and turn five is kind of I'll call it common. Mm -hmm. um, if you kind of find your find some of the cards that you're looking for. So the version that you're talking about is a, a multicolor version without a yes. then. Correct. Yeah. Yes, it's a four color version that is the traditional machinations overloader combination. Okay. Cool. And the newer version is the Rakano Overloader version, which departs from the original combination of Overloader plus Machinations and instead is now using Nakas plus um, a few zero-cost uh, spells or weapons that you can put on Nakas and then start amplifying for one. So what that does is it brings the initial startup cost down um, and it is able to go off and combo relatively reliably on turn four. 
Yes. And I think the interesting part about Nakas that's easy to miss is the fact that it's like not only can you amplify cheaply, but it's a single card that allows you to amplify multiple times for each time you play a spell on it. You can amplify it again. And so it's not like Overloader where you know, you amplify once, you get a lot of power, and then you need to find another specifically amplify spell to to really generate the massive, massive amounts of power that you want right. um, to to kill. Yeah, with. anything anything that targets can target your Nakas, and then that way you can you can amplify using that. Exactly, and so that makes up a huge percentage of this deck. Is not only like the zero cost cards you want you mentioned that are kind of like weird cards that are there specifically just because they cost zero. But then there's just like normal cards that decks will play that um, have <laughs> that have effects that affect the game, like you know fire etchings, fearless crescendo. Uh, uh, I guess that's the main ones. Um, yeah, Rujin's choice as well. So, so there, you're right. So, not only are there these weird zero cost cards that are very specific to because they're zero, they allow you to start amplifying kind of very early. Um, but the cards that you would otherwise use as, let's say, payoffs or ways of, or tutors even for finding some of your components, some of your kill spells, for example, also act as rituals that net you power. So, Rujin's choice not only not only can go get you the Overloader or the Nakas, but if you have Redundancy and you have another one in your hand, you can use that as a spell to target your own Nakas to generate power. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was... Uh, unless you have anything more you wanted to say about the deck. Um, yeah, not specific to the deck, um, but I would like to to talk about kind of combo a little bit in general because... I know our, our card this week is is Vara, and it uh, since we began kind of putting the episode together, and by this time the card itself has changed, um, and as it was uh, originally, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll chat about the change of the card uh, a little later as we go into the, the the card. It allowed for some combos to exist and i found myself a lot of the decks that i was designing was was around kind of that combo and um since Bracana overloader is it, it's maybe a thorn in in people's sides right now in in the format i wanted to quickly chat about combo in eternal in general so i was curious how the community felt um about combo decks uh so i i, I kind of posed the question in in the general internal discord about combo i wanted to to get a sense from from people as to if they thought that combo shouldn't exist at all or if they thought that it you know some some of them are just too fast or too difficult to interact with and that's kind of their main their main issue with it um and I know I'm biased on the topic because I play combo so often, so clearly I enjoy it. But that doesn't mean that everybody enjoys it. Um, I wanted to kind of get into that a little bit. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, uh, Paramaru, but 
Um, I guess let me start by asking you that. Um, do you feel that combo in general is kind of a healthy thing to have um, in a game? Do you have any any thoughts about whether you think it shouldn't be very fast or or about its interaction? I think combos hard to talk about, especially in an unbiased form, because I probably I I do like combo decks, and I especially like kind of finicky. Personally, I like finicky kind of combo decks. But I one of the things I like about combo is it allows you to explore and use cards that just you would never play in sort of a, a, a it they, they're just not on rate cards so you just would never play them in a, like an aggro or mid-range uh deck and so um you know one of my favorite periods of the game was uh the clear the way per- period just because that was like such a cool a cool deck especially when the first person sort of discovered that and then um I don't know if they, I think maybe multiple people might have started working on it, but uh, I think it was either DDDDD or AAAAA, uh, get those confused sometimes, but they posted a deck on um, on Eternal Warcry with some video, and it was just like a wild version of the deck that had like all my favorite cards, like a bunch of crappy relics, it had uh, Clear the Way, it had Tayana in it. And uh, just was doing crazy stuff. You got to play Kairos with the deck. And so, like, those... And, and like, then, of course, that combo got refined and refined and refined. And then we had that open that had multiple combo decks. um, And people were just, like, playing these, like, hyper-efficient, like, turn three, turn four combos. But I kind of really enjoyed, (laughs) enjoyed that. I like combos that do big flashy things. I kind of meandered a little bit there, but like the hard part with combo and talking about it is, is that it it is just like hard to balance because so much about combo is like that people, I feel like people focus on is like the turn it happens. And so they're just like, Oh, we, we think combo is fine. It just needs to be a little bit slower. But because for like a pure combo deck, the most important thing is it's like average turn of working. Yeah. If you slow that down, you're the 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 deck just doesn't exist anymore. Right. It is a it is kind of a binary. If it's if it's too slow, then it's not viable. If it is fast enough, then potentially it's it's oppressive. Uh, that is a good point for sure. I think. A lot of the comments from from different people were were similar. A lot of them voiced kind of not the sentiment of that it shouldn't that these kinds of decks shouldn't exist at all. Um, although I'm sure, you know, um, emotional reactions to having run into the these kinds of decks over and over and, and ladder may have played a part into some of the answers that I was seeing. But but rather that it should be slower. Um, it shouldn't combo decks shouldn't be going off on turn four. Um, I mean, some sometimes rarely on turn three in these cases with both the overloader decks. Um, and and that's that's probably true. 
Um, but there's also there were also some fallacies out there. The idea that you kind of you can't interact with any of these decks. I think it's the the throne format conceptually is is the format that allows for all the cards to be played. And I think as a card game progresses with the addition of more and more and more cards, it has a tendency to to creep up in power over time. Um, you can't really play competitive decks that are very slow. Um, it kind of it's it all sped up a bit. Is kind of where I'm getting at with this this comment, and I think. And I think that is the case with combo as well. At, initially, there were some combos that even some of the earlier Worlds tournaments for Eternal were played, and, and we're talking about like turn seven, turn eight kind of combo decks, and they were possibly viable. Well, they would never be viable these days. Um, aggressive decks also, they're able to kind of win outright by by turn five, um, kind of goldfishing. And I think that that's that's a function of just Cards getting better, having more availability to pick really great cards out of out of a pool, um, and I think if people try to play decks that don't play cheap interaction, or they're not quite aware as to what they're playing against, and they just find themselves tapping out every turn, then they kind of they it makes it seem like the combo decks are um, very. I mean. They're difficult to interact to some extent, but that is kind of also what makes them a little bit more competitive. But that I think it's I think it's false to say that they have no interaction points at all. Um, I think just the cards that you need to play to interact with them sometimes may be different. Yes, and I I think it also I I don't think that could be a blanket statement. I I do think like like if we're specifically talking about the overloader combo. You know, I think one of the big points of contention people have is the fact that you can't stop that that initial power burst if they play over, you know, if they play the overloader and then immediately an amplify spell, people don't have a a, a reaction window before before you get, you get that some amount of power. Yeah. Yeah. And and so like I think you know some people would say, well, this call that then an uninteractable combo because like you can feel like you even had the interaction spell in your hand, but it the game rules stopped you from being able to use it. Yeah. Um, even still, though, if if the power gets generated, there are kind of some distinct points that you can interact with with what is going on with. Kind of very few exceptions, and um, I guess I'll I'll keep talking about the point of interaction and, and what you mentioned about power being generated uh, with Overloader uh, here by by kind of talking about maybe another fallacy that I heard, which was that these kinds of decks don't require skill um, or that they're very simple. You just you know you do your ABC and and then you win the game and it doesn't take too 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 much which might be a perception that you get when playing against like an average ladder opponent. But when you're playing against a player who understands the different interaction points 
and is able to play in a way that they maximize their ability to both apply pressure and then leave up interaction when those appropriate points come up. It is, there are some very intricate, complicated, nuanced interactions that happen that, that are quite interesting. Uh, maybe to me, maybe to some other folks and, and not so much to others, but to kind of give an example to this, um, Apple Chips and myself were, were doing some testing uh, between decks and uh, between overloader mirrors, the two different kinds of overloader decks, between some kind of aggressive decks that played uh, condemn plus counter spells as interactions. And we found ourselves we found ourselves talking about decisions that we were making on turn three or four for like 10 to 15 minutes after the game, uh, which to me is a very clear indication that there are tons of decisions to make. And lots of things do matter um, that don't necessarily, there may not be evident to uh, to everyone right away. Uh, but there's a lot of little nuances as to the behavior of cards as they get played, what the interaction points are. So what I want to say to people is I don't think, like, don't don't discount all of these things. And I think you should kind of try things out for yourself and practice and play them out both you playing the combo deck, you playing against the combo deck so that you can really understand uh, kind of what the breakpoints are, what the interaction points are, how you can attack the, the combo deck. Um, and I think the best way to do it is actually playing that deck so that you can really understand um, kind of what it's like from that perspective. Yes, I, I do think when you play a combo deck, you realize a lot more clearly how uh how fragile they can be because you know it is one of those sort of fallacies where you mostly see the combo deck when it's going off on you and so it always feels a lot more powerful and you're and you're missing <laughs> the the games where it, it it misses yeah I can say from experience, it's it's very mentally taxing to to play the combo deck, especially against good players. Yes, um, I like equating it like walking a tightrope, because with many decks, if a mistake happens, you you have quite some leeway. But with a combo deck, if you make a mistake, it's often just disaster. Right, and and I think that goes back to one of the things I like about combo decks is that you know because you're not playing inherently powerful cards you're playing very synergistic cards and so if you're not if you're messing up in playing your synergy cards your deck just your deck can't bail you out the the, the raw the raw power of your cards can't bail you out uh, i i do think uh you talking about how how differently combo play decks play out um against highly skilled players does kind of lead to uh, in, you know another thought about um because I, I think a lot of your you, you think a lot about competitive play uh which i think all ends up leading towards you know opens or um and ecqs and these uh open deckless formats you know compared to you know 90 percent of the people who play ladder or whatever percentage who are, are mostly 
playing in a closed deckless format or playing casually or for fun. Um, And I, I do wonder if that really changes how, how good combo can be. So like a combo deck that would be very healthy and not dominant in an open deck list open that people are prepared for uh, might actually still be too dominant on ladder. I, I, I can agree with that. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think that that also goes into kind of some of the, I think very insightful criticisms or very insightful ca- counterpoints looking at the concept of whether having combo in the in eternal is healthy in general and maybe making a distinction to magic where eternal is a best of one game not a best of three with a sideboard selection so in order to to have a competitive deck against some of these combo decks you would need to make some heavy adjustments to what you'd be playing and it probably narrows down a lot of what you can do um and and whether that whether that is fun um so i guess the idea being that in magic you have a sideboard you can have all these like really awesome hate cards to a combo deck and you can do your normal plan for game 1 and hey you ran into this combo combo deck well now I can bring in these great cards against it from my sideboard. But in Eternal, it's a best of one game. So so especially like you're talking about closed deck lists, you don't know what your opponent is bringing to the table. Like, is it fun when you need to shoehorn your deck into like this very specific kind of, kind of deck uh, in order to fight the combo decks or the synergy decks that exist in the format? Um, which I think is a, a very good, is a very good point. And I don't really know what the answer to that is. Um, and, and this is probably where my bias comes in to say, like, well, I enjoy it. Um, but that doesn't mean that other people enjoy it. So especially when I was asking that question to the community, I, I, I did care because I, I like the game. I wanted to, I want it to be fun for people to want to play it. Um, and, you know, if, if the existence of these decks makes it not fun, then, then I would prefer for, you know, nerfs, adjustments, things to change so that it became more fun for people to play. And, and I care less about how much I like playing this combo, for example. So I think there are some very good counterpoints out there as well, uh, kind of. Yeah, I, I think the, the, um, the comparison to magic is very interesting because, you know, arena, um, the, the sort of the the new magic client has really shown sort of both sides of this equation because that has you can play best of three or best of one uh, magic on that and over the the last few years there have actually been a couple of instances where they have banned a card in best of one but not best of three and uh I think uh, the two instances I can think of off the top of my head were both sort of uh, combo cards. Um, right. 
and uh and that was because in best of three uh you know th those combo decks didn't have nearly the win rate they did in best of one just because people could prepare for them uh right and so they had a lot of trouble winning a game two or three um yeah i mean it's a it's a very good point uh it, it initially it was brought up by lights out ice um and who is a former world champion and uh it was echoed by other folks as well yeah <clears throat> but it's it's i think it's very very insightful and very important to consider yeah i i do think um this is like an argument in in favor of of combo decks and it's on a i feel like if if i'm making this argument i'm probably <laughs> already losing because you know it's like one of these things where it's, it feels a little bit like combo players are trying to like explain how combo's not really bad if you just like change your perspective on it but you're you're probably we're probably not going to change anyone's perspective on how they feel about losing to combo decks um because i agree with that um but you know i i do think people overemphasize the fact that like oh combo needs weird cards to stop it and i don't want to run those weird cards uh in my right. decks but like that happens all the time you know like that's why card games have a meta and you have to shift your decks around for a meta and this is a really bad example it's just the one that's coming to my mind but like uh, because this card was too strong, but it's like with creation project, it's like creation project was really strong. And so people started putting different relic removal in their deck because the, there was a number one deck and that was creation project. And then that actually did tamp down the power of creation project. And so it wasn't like as completely dominant as maybe right. it could have been. And that's because people were prepared for it and playing cards to stop that and they and even people managed to do that on ladder like if they didn't want to play creation project they put relic removal in their ladder deck and were able to win games on ladder and i feel like to a certain extent um you know the same could be true for for combo decks if a a, a combo deck can be hated out even in uh best of one if it's popular enough there are also some considerations in terms of if it if there is a rock paper scissors kind of uh, matchup for it, um, it does make it easier to hate a combo deck out. And what I mean by that is, if it if the the way that a combo is built is inherently weak to say very aggressive decks that don't necessarily need to face very special cards, but just they just need to be aggressive. Well, eventually enough enough people are playing these aggressive decks that you lose often enough that you don't really want to play the combo deck. And then, kind of, the the very unit uh, hating decks kind of start rising up in popularity. Be it sling, be it uh, be it combray equalize or something along those lines. And then, and then it increases the incentive to want to play like a combo deck because it has a great matchup against those kind of decks. Um, I guess the counterpoint to that is that in sometimes, and this kind of brings brings us back a little bit to the Rakana Overloader. Sometimes you end up having a combo deck that is both able to go off on turn four, but then is also very resilient, um, not needing its life total, or, or for example, uh, as part of the combo um, to to be able to 
to start going off. So it, it's able to 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 kind of go under the aggressive decks as well, and then it becomes uh, potentially even more of a problem. So I think some people, were, let's say, were to say that, hey, the traditional Overloader deck, because it was playing Machinations, because it's playing a card that says, hey, you have to pay some of your life total in order for your card to work, I was able to attack your life total as part of my general plan anyway. And that would reduce your chances to be able to do this this cool combo that you're doing. Um, but in but in this case, maybe because that's not the case, it, it it's it's too much of a burden for decks to be able to kind of tech against this kind of deck. Right. And instead, it's it's just unhealthy to have it in. Yeah, I would you describe um, like the Katra decks that were going around, especially pre nerfs um, as. Is that a combo deck in your mind? <clears throat> the Katra deck being sort of, and I, and I think it's still, it's still, uh, it's definitely still around. It's definitely one of the stronger decks that you're probably going to be running into in the format. So we're talking about the Xenon deck, the Xenon Katra, and we we kind of briefly talked about it in the episode with Binding Agreements, where um, so it kind of centers around um, discarding cards from your deck uh, into your void. And hopefully some of these cards that you discard are power cards. And then getting the uh, the card Katra uh, into play. So Katra is a four cost, I believe it's four shadow, two time, four cost. And uh, currently a four two, and it used to be a five three unit that says when you summon it, um, play a power from your void for each for each unit you have. And then it has a surge, which uh, says that every time you gain an influence, um, you gain a life for each of that influence. And then it has an additional text on it that... Um, you gain a life prevents- and Katra gains plus one, plus one. Correct. And Katra gets plus one, plus one. And then additional text on it that you... Um, the opponent is not able to to um, the, their spells in their void are void bound. So what that deck does is it develops a bunch of uh, small units that uh, discard cards from your deck. Uh, turn one, turn two, uh, maybe turn three, and then it it gets Katra in play turn four. And then what that does is it 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 ramps them very quickly uh, so that. They have uh, tons of power, tons of life, and Katra is a really big unit. Um, and they're able to do uh, reanimate some really large units or play units out of their hand. It basically just, the fact that you played Katra on turn four is almost like a soft, you won the game, really. It's just going to kind of play out for a few more turns, but you get such an advantage that it's very difficult to overcome that advantage. Um, Ironically, they did nerf Katra, but it the nerf was a little bit, I don't want to say a joke, but they gave her minus one, minus one, uh, which realistically doesn't didn't really do anything to the card because when you played Katra, it, it usually ended up being like an 11 power unit. So, you know, oh no, my four drop is now a 10 power unit. Like, uh, I mean, by a power, I mean attack. So it used to be like an 11 attack unit, but now with a minus one, one of like a 10 attack unit so did that really make a difference not really um the deck is still very viable um and very strong uh and you asked if it's a combo deck um 
So I think different people will classify combo in different ways. I would not call it a combo deck. I would just call it a synergy deck. Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, combo is basically a one-turn kill kind of situation. If you're if you assemble a sequence of cards that you end up winning the game right away, you're a combo deck, in my viewpoint. But I think reasonable people disagree, and they have uh, fair arguments otherwise um, that would say that that say that counter deck is a combo. Deck. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting that you focus on the OTK. Uh, aspect of it because you know like the the clear the way uh deck uh oftentimes that was you were really just ramping to kairos and you didn't really have an otk kill it's just you were playing a turn two or three kairos was right was the combo but but would that be a com that but that feels to me like a combo deck I think it was the fact that Kairos was in play. It's kind of similar to Eccentric Officer. So Kairos would then enable you to just, so you would do your setup, get your Kairos in play, and then you would play enough things on the next turn to kind of kill them. Right. That's usually how that ended up playing out. Um, yes, yeah, but, you're right. But it I, didn't happen all in one turn, but it's sort of that sequence of like, I played A, I played B, I played C, I won. Yes. That kind of, yeah, sequence. Um Right, though I I do think there that is a subtle you know the the eccentric officer is subtle is different in the sense that oftentimes that is you know like once you you're playing Kairos and you have a specific other card in mind to you know kill the opponent as right. as compared to clear the way where you were like uh you know like it's i feel like clear the way was similar to rebuild where you're like i'm we're gonna get a kairos out and then we'll we'll figure out where we go from there um yeah i mean you could you could reweave to get your kairos and also fair exchange at the same time kind of end up killing them yeah but you're right it 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 was it was a little bit more cheating things into play oriented um feel the feeling of that rather than the feeling of uh you immediately win yeah um that same turn but but yeah it's there's there's gonna be some gray no matter how you define it i think there's always gonna be some gray area because i i do think that it is a it's a spectrum yeah um yeah yeah and that's kind of why i i mentioned um you know sort of the pre-nerf uh katra decks because um, you know, I think there were some debates about what version were better and about whether Vara was even that good in the deck or whatever. But, I, you know, I do think there was something about the fact that the Vara sort of could make these unkillable board states for you. Um, right. Where the where now the Kotra deck still very powerful, but is more sort of a ramp deck where you're just using Contra to get a lot of power and then playing big thing after big thing that your opponent can't fight through it all compared to sort of the VAR versions where you could play VARA and then go wide after you did your Contra thing, uh, which feels yeah, and, and com- more combo-y. You're right. And and then for the for the sort of the listeners, the change we're talking about here is uh, not the VARA that we're talking about today, but the... Uh, big Vara, as as we kind of knew at the eight cost six six, when you play a shadow unit, 
at the time it was when you played when you played another shadow unit, you could play a shadow unit from your void. And what that allowed you to do, um, it wasn't capped for how many times you could do it a turn. What that allowed you to do was play shadow units that were in your void that generated an additional shadow unit, which would then trigger borrow again uh, and again and again. And you would end up just playing a whole board out of your void rather than just getting a Vara plus another unit, which is kind of what the the card does now. So um, those reanimator decks, what they ended up doing is just filling the board up in one turn. And if you didn't have some kind of wrath sweeper kind of effect, you ended up losing because it was just an entire board of units. But you're right, it's a very different deck feeling deck now as 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 what it was before. But but honestly, I think the elephant in the room, even though Vara was so strong, I think the elephant in the room in both cases Katra, and I think it's kind of um, it's kind of odd that it didn't receive an appropriate um, adjustment treatment. And I think we will probably see that card getting further nerfed uh, at some point, at least. If it's not, you know, this cycle, because there's other decks that maybe have kept it kind of in the shadows. Um, no pun intended, um, that we will at some point see that card being changed. Yeah. Further. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. You know, the reason I guess I mentioned the, the, uh, Katra deck and then asked if you thought it was a combo deck is because that was slash is another deck that people complain about quite a lot. And it kind of, fit the bill of a lot of the things that you were describing with this overloader deck deck a, a little bit or or maybe not specifically this overloader deck but like how combo decks can kind of thrive in a meta game or like a meta game can thrive with a combo deck if there's this rock paper scissors thing where like aggro can beat up combo combo can beat up control and then it can uh, control can beat up aggro. Um, but then when you have a deck like uh, like the Katra deck, where it, just the nature of its units was able to put a lot of sort of annoying units down to slow down aggro, and then Katra being both your sort of combo enabler, but also a life gain and blocking card, really shut down a lot of aggro decks. So aggro was no longer an ax an axis on, on which you could really fight these Katra decks. And I, I think maybe one of the reasons it made um, you know, people not like it because it felt harder to fight against. And so if if you're saying this new Rakana Overloader has sort of that sense or that, that feel to it of not being able to really get under it, um, and therefore sort of limiting the axes on which you can uh, sort of counteract uh, this combo deck. You know, there's, it's, in my mind, there's a lot of similarities. And I think, I think that kind of goes back to my point that I think the format itself, it's going to be very difficult to not have these kinds of feelings come up in, in a format where all the cards are accessible to everybody um it's going to be a constant kind of like whack-a-mole 
the reason why I said it soft felt like it won the game after it played turn four, well, there's also like Sling, for example, another deck that is kind of similar in that way. It's so strong at what it does that if you're a unit-based deck, it's going to feel awful playing into Sling. It just will. They play their Sling and they just start getting this ridiculous advantage that you just cannot possibly overcome. And they get their face Aegis and then it's really difficult to get rid of the Sling. So I think there's I think this is going to keep coming up. Like there's going to always there a new thing is going to come up that is dominant in that in that way and I think it's just going to be a part of the meta game. But it's going to shift the meta game to different ways, but as long as there can be a rock paper scissors, um I think that's going to be what the healthiness is. I don't think there's going to be a way to realistically go back to a every everybody can just bring whatever deck and because they're all so slow and there's all these interaction points all the time that you'll be able to, to, to find this kind of different experience. I think this is kind of like what the nature of Throne is going to be like uh, in general. That's kind of my opinion. I don't know, you know, it is or isn't. Obviously, if DWD feels differently about this, they can be very aggressive with the way that they adjust cards to not allow any of these kind of decks to exist at all by um, really heavily changing these cards. Um, but, you know, I think at the same time, there could be some adjustments that slow a lot of these decks down a whole bunch and that will kind of move them out of viability. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, the fact is, you know, Direwolf, uh, to me, clearly does want these decks to exist to some extent because they are printing cards that are clearly combo cards. Right. Um, so, you, you know, it's it, the, their stance uh, is obviously not combo shouldn't exist, <laughs> I feel like. Right. Yeah. Overloader was a was kind of a combo that it, that came up in basically one set release, and it started existing as a deck. So clearly, that comes across as more of a planned thing or semi-planned. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, there, there's been kind of decks that have that came up uh, just naturally by new cards being added to uh, to the to the format, and then all of a sudden, kind of um, it allowed it allowed for a combination to exist. Yes. Um, I think one of the things that we didn't talk about Rakan Overloader and I think is probably a ticking time bomb that we'll keep seeing over the course of Eternal to for years to come is Unleash as a concept. Um, I think Unleash in Rakano Overloader is an aspect of it. Um, and I think it's going to just keep coming up and up. That mechanic is so powerful and and can be so prevalent that that we're just gonna, I think we're gonna just see it creeping its head, um, almost after every kind of release of new cards because of the capabilities that you would have to abuse that mechanic. Yeah, and, and in Overloaders specifically, that's Soulfire. That's uh, using- yes, and yeah, and there there and there are more combinations with with Nakas and Unleash cards. Basically, any Unleash card. That targets, uh, that can target Nakas, um, can generate infinite power. So that Unleashed card can be Soulfire, 
it's both it does three damage and then you can play it again and again if you have seven power it basically nets you infinite power it allows you to play it on your nakas amplify the nakas to to grow it and then you get another copy of your spell so you can keep doing that and doing that and doing that there's also um uh i trying to remember the there's a growth card it's it's primal justice and it gives your unit a unit of yours a battle skill growth spurt um growth spurt thank you and so with nakas growth spurt is infinite power at five power um and then there's the new promo that they released the justice um um plus four plus four that you it has unleashed in your opponent's turn which is also an infinite an infinite power combo with Nakas. So, you know, maybe they'll adjust Nakas to make it be once a turn. We'll see what happens with that. But it, ultimately, the problem is not with with Nakas. It's just one card in this case. But the problem to me is is with Unleash as 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 a mechanic. I agree that Unleash. You know, it. This is going further a, a further tangent, but you know, like. Um... You know, Patrick Sullivan did talk about Unleash in his interview with It's Tens, and uh, when in t- It's Ten, um, It's Ten sort of confronted him a little bit on <laughs> the Unleash and Taunt mechanic, and Patrick Sullivan talked about how well they sometimes need to, you know, you can't let game design s- stagnate, and one of the advantages of doing a digital game is to try to be bold, to like do bold mechanics and stuff and and it does feel like <clears throat> unleash was a bold mechanic and also possibly a a, a mistake and uh i mean e- e- easy for me to sit here and say seems pretty uh pretty obvious mistake uh especially when <laughs> multiple other card games digital card games have tried these mechanics and then have later had to have pulled back pretty heavily because they um, effects like this are just so easily abused and, and broken. You know, my, my last thing I wanted to say, sort of touching back on um, your point about uh, downward pressure in, in throne and how <clears throat> when you have access to the whole card pool, just like decks are just going to be, tough to interact and hard um you know hard to play against and very fast and and all of this this stuff i i I do kind of uh, i i do agree with you and i do think that a, a lot of people they're like dislike of combo decks or and then even like broadening this definition of combo decks like you know, disliking Katra and then, you know, disliking Sling, disliking all of these powerful decks that have, that utilize some really strong cards, uh, you know, really powerfully, you know, it, it does f- feel like people want to like keep wanting Direwolf to fight against this and, and nerf a deck as soon as it gets powerful, because it's like, too powerful and they still want to be able to like play their turn three champions of chaos or play their like Xenon mid-range deck or their Argent port mid-range deck and and these like 
these powerful decks are stopping them from, you know, playing their unit-based decks. But, like, the problem is, I think that, like, um, you keep nerf... There's always a new deck to find. And I feel like with with what happened where we went through this creation project winter where like, you know, creation project came out, it was too strong. It was three cost. It really, um, influenced that throne. That's especially that first throne meta. Um, and then they nerfed creation project. And then everyone said, Oh, well, that's just going to make Kacha the best deck again, which was the previous best deck theoretically, uh, you know, the supposed best deck before Creation Project. So it was like Katra, Creation Project, and then everyone predicted Katra would be the best deck again. But then you have this, like, overloader combo coming out of nowhere, sort of. And now yep. it's like, oh, maybe this is the best deck. And so, like, and in each of those instances, everyone just, like, wanted that best deck to be nerfed without being like, maybe we should have found this overloader combo, you know, a little while ago and then Katra wouldn't have been the best deck or maybe, you know, maybe this deck would have beaten on these creation project decks and like maybe creation project would have just been a very powerful, but fine deck without nerfs or whatever. I, you know, I'm not saying whether it one way or the other, but I, I do wonder like, you know, it's like Pandora, the, the genie's already out of, or whatever, you know, Pandora's box has already been opened. And so there's no stuffing things back. There's always going to be a best deck that's based around an, uh, an oppressively strong uh, combination of cards. And so maybe we just need to let people figure this out and figure out how to fight against these things and have a less handed, heavy handed approach. I think you make a really good point. And I think I generally agree with your sentiments. So in my view, kind of be the change you want to be. Don't expect don't expect somebody else to kind of do the work for you. Um, that's my viewpoint. Uh, I'm not a game designer. Um, like the, the folks that are actually designing the game kind of know each of these games know best. And they understand things. And I'm, I'm sure they always... They look at these things as they come up over time, and there's a lot of debate amongst um, ab amongst the designers. And they, I'm sure, they they take time to consider things and things things thoroughly. And these folks are folks that have been great at these kinds of games in general. It's a collection of people who are really good players. Um, so I trust them. But the the way that I also see things is. I've always been against nerfs in general because, because I always think that it's a changing landscape. There's new decks that are going to be discovered. And for people who complain about stagnant environments, I really don't prescribe to that. I, I do firmly believe that more than 50% of the, the competitive decks that could exist have not been found yet with the current cards that we have. Um, so for one, I, this is one of the reasons why I, that let's say we're doing this podcast, brewing different decks, sharing different ideas, because 
a lot of the decks that we share here aren't necessarily fine-tuned machines. They're just conceptual ideas, and maybe somebody can get the inspiration to turn this deck that like we share here into uh, the new meta staple. Um, and that's kind of the concept behind it. Now, maybe there aren't that many folks. I, I know that some people who have complained about like the stagnancy, and I my response to it will is like, well, you know, sit down and brew some decks. And they're like, well, I'm not good at brewing decks. So neither was I. Uh, a lot of it is just practice. You know, it's true that maybe some people have different kind of imagination than others and are able to kind of come up with these very strong conceptual ideas. But I think part of it is also practice and, and kind of the willingness to kind of put the work behind it um, and, and, and just keep trying. And, and I do agree with you to, to say it's kind of very easy to complain about these things and it almost happens immediately. There's a new set that comes out, there's a strong card in it, and everybody complains like, oh no, nerf the um, and I'm, everybody sort of like, you know, it's not everybody, but there's a there's a big uproar of people that are complaining. But I I do think that it happens too soon a lot of the time, and you know we should spend the time to actually progress the meta, like work on different ideas. There's all these decks that have existed in the past. There's all these new cards that have come out. We haven't explored all these different decks or in the past. So there's um. I think there's a lot of room still of development with all these new cards that come powerful that can even enhance older decks. Um, uh, again, kind of quickly touching the overloader combo. So I had this idea about um, making a Justice Primal Shadow deck that uh, would generally run a lot of hate cards. And I think the my my record against the Rakana Overloader deck is above eighty. Like, is that deck, you know, the the best deck against other decks? No, but if the meta game has a lot of synergistic decks, there are ways of building decks out there that that have very strong matchups against these decks. It's it's I don't think it's fair to just complain about things. I think often there is there is room for people to actually make make a change that they want to see. Um, but I do concede the point that maybe the speed of things is not fun for everybody, and I can totally understand that. And I'm sure that that is one of the complications of being a game designer, kind of for a, a maturing game. Two things I, I wanted to say about that. One is like sort of just a reiterate your point about being the change you want to see and whether you're a good deck builder or a bad deck builder and stuff like that you know like part of how you get better is obviously building decks and um and playing games and such but also it's sort of to like lean into the community you know like i'm sort of doing this podcast you know where sort of you're the expert and and I'm just like <laughs> trying to build decks and and I think like the um I or just I'm just doing my best to to come up with any ideas and I I think the in our binding agreement episode like with that 50 power deck you know like like I just like had an idea I didn't really have a ref 
refined idea or know exactly what to do with it. And so I did what all bad deck builders do is just like put every card I could think of <laughs> into the deck at, at, at each cost. And then I showed it to someone. And in this case, it was, you know, live on air with uh, straight and apple chips. And then they suggested better cards to put in it. And then um, I put better cards in it. And then it turned into a semi-functional deck. And that was like, by working with people and talking with people. And so even if you have a bad idea that's like not great, you can, um, you can, you know, I think that's one of the ways to, to do that. And like, I've done that even just like cold messaging people where, you know, this is before I knew Apple chips very well, but I had like some idea for like, for Tormented Crown, I was like really into that card for a while. And so I was making up all these Tormented Crown decks. And so I knew Apple Chips really liked playing Menace decks. And so I messaged him with my idea for a Tormented Crown deck. And he tried to turn the deck into his throne room deck. And I was like, not exactly where the direction I wanted to go with. But um, so I, I didn't agree with him fully, but I think that's also fine, you know, but he gave me ideas and gave me things to think about and, you know, directions to take the deck and, and then, you know, and that, that's just, I think the best way to become better at, at deck building. Yeah. And, you know, there's the WSG discord where you hang out a lot. There's the farming eternal discord where, uh, we ping you a lot. Um, you know, there's like, there are communities and places where we're happy to talk about decks or ideas. And like any of these episodes we do, if you have other ideas with, you know, these decks or, um, you know, ways to edit, you know, ways to refine some of the decks, you know, like we, we, the reason we do episodes and shows like this is because we love talking about decks and want to talk more about them. <laughs> Another another thing that I'll just add to this is like don't get discouraged when people tell you that your ideas are bad because you have the imagination kind of by having these kinds of ideas um, and you'll you know you you can show it to different people and they'll they'll contribute in different ways and perhaps some ideas work long term perhaps some ideas don't like don't be too invested in it but also don't necessarily listen to everybody saying that it's a so. Um, kind of support your ideas and give them a try. If they don't work out, shelf them for a bit. You can revisit them later. Uh, they might someday become really viable. So, um, kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a fluid, it's a fluid, um, a sort of, uh, it's not a binary thing. It's a spectrum of kind of like viability, competitiveness. There's, there's, Everything is a spectrum, so don't don't kind of like uh, listen to people that that have you believe it's it's a binary. Yeah, um, and there's also I think, and this is a thing that's hard for me to learn is there's sort of a right timeness for, for decks mm -hmm. too. Um, yeah, where so, you know sometimes your deck that you're just losing and losing and losing with, and you're like this must just be a crappy deck. It could just be that the meta isn't conducive to that. And, and we, again, talked about that with the, um, the 50 power world pyre deck where, you know, it's like when people were doing slower, more mid rangey things, 
that's a great time for a deck like that. But if people are trying to do turn four combos or aggro you out and end the game by turn four, not the time for that deck. And so like the deck may be of a viable deck, but this it just might not be the time for it to be viable. That's right. That's a very good point. Um, yeah. And then this is uh, <laughs> my, my <laughs> last point. And then um, we probably shouldn't discuss this. But I, I do wonder if part of people's problem is that how they have designed Expedition is too limited of a card pool. I just feel like a lot of the complaints people have for Expedition is that there is only really a handful of very powerful, obvious build-around cards. And so there's not as much diversity in in Expedition as people crave. And yet Throne is too powerful. And people kind of want to go back to this like sort of mystical before times where like eternal was perfect and people were just having these great high decision making mid-range battles back and forth and um and i just wonder if making expedition slightly bigger would help with that you know because i was thinking about this recently is like expedition or, or just, oh, I, I listen to a bunch of magic podcasts, even though I don't really play magic. And they, just over the years, everyone always complains about post-rotation standard because it's only four or five sets big. It's a very tiny card pool. And so there's just always some very clearly pushed cards that sort of dictate the format. And everyone's like, oh, I just can't wait for a few more sets to come out so that the card pool's bigger and so more things can happen. And then like everyone just like loves eight set standard or whatever. And Eternal just like for Expedition, even at Expedition's biggest as it's currently constructed is still smaller than like Magic's five sets, you know, post-rotation yeah. five set standard. Perhaps. I. What I would say is I think there was more deck diversity in expedition than there was um in throne for for a decent amount of time when we were playing expedition we had multiple decks and it felt like everybody was playing creation project and i think it was more about kind of what people were focusing on for the next competitive season what people were building and therefore what people saw as competitive decks what they were running into on ladder and tried to replicate them potentially than anything else um i i felt like expedition was very healthy and i you're right that it has less it's easier to figure out to some extent but it'll rotate whereas throne will not really rotate you can just you just have additions that happen so it's kind of more difficult to to have a range of of meta changes in in a in a in a just additive kind of format versus well all these cards went out new cards came in so i think i don't i i never do feel that i mean right now nobody's i'm not playing expedition so i guess i'm assuming nobody's playing expedition which is probably not the case but um i probably not as much innovation is happening because people are not really 
focusing on a format that there's no tournaments behind. Right. Um, if there were tournaments behind, somebody would be trying to innovate. Um, and I think that may be, make it feel like there's more changes. That being said, there are there have been expedition formats that there have been different, like really cool interactions, different things in them, mm-hmm. um, and some others that have less of those things. Um, so I'm sure it ranges. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm spe- I'm less specifically talking about like h- how they the formats change even within themselves because like i don't feel like the the complaints that we're talking about with regard to throne are that it doesn't change enough because it's only an additive format it's it's more that people don't like the direction of that change Mm. and so i just wonder if like a bigger expedition could be the place where they like feel like oh we still have a lot of cards to choose from but it's not like that like crazy thrown place while right now it's like more like expedition is you know there's like 10 very pushed cards and and those are like the the centers that you sort of build your decks around and there's like a a bunch of diversity within that but there are just like these poles in expedition and i wonder if like having a bigger expedition and more poles will like get like i don't know satisfy a a bigger a bigger spread of people that are now becoming dissatisfied with throne in the direction it's inevitably taking yeah it's an interesting idea i think um, I guess a couple of thoughts around that. I don't think that you could have more equally sized poles, I guess, in that analogy. Because I think that the the poles that you can think of are probably the same in Throne as well. Right? I think you can find, like, these are clearly the best cards, and they stand out amongst others. And therefore, we're going to have a lot of build-around decks that in some way utilize those cards. I think what breaks that is synergy uh, between cards that you would otherwise disregard as not being powerful enough, kind of going back to what you were talking about, the thing that you like about combo decks as a concept. And the thing I like about combo decks as a, as a concept as well. And, and and kind of like thinking about my initial my initial journey to 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 come up with the eccentric officer deck, um, the original eccentric officer deck, where I was playing just such garbage cards, and I and I was playing against my teammate Prakalakin, which you uh, folks may have uh, watched his stream. It's a great stream. I recommend it heavily. Um, so I I, I just he he kind of didn't believe in the deck, right? So he just queued into me with, with like, all right, let me, let me just queue with this like hyper-aggressive Yeti's deck and kind of show me what you got, right? Because that's kind of like, like the non-belief, like show me what you got with this like crazy, like terrible deck. And I just, I played a sequence of like these just awful cards and I just burst out in laughter when I kind of drew, like after my eccentric officer, I, I drew kind of like a nine power, just terrible card. And it was hilarious. But honestly, just sometimes you have all these 
cards that you would otherwise think are garbage, but because of some kind of synergy, it it makes them much better than the sum of their parts. And I think that is what brings diversity to formats more so than more pulls, more like build around cards. Because build around cards are very easy for people to identify. And so like this is clearly powerful. And th- and that's why I always hated good stuff decks, where you just take a collection of all the strongest cards and put them in a deck. Like that, I, I, I don't find those interesting. Other people do. Um, the thing that I find interesting is like, how do you combine these, these cards that are not particularly strong by themselves and all of a sudden you put these together and it becomes way stronger than their one really strong card? Um, so I, yeah, I, th- I think it varies, honestly, the expedition format, because the cards themselves vary and then their synergies within them vary. I think expedition, uh, expedition formats before, one that had uh, crafty and and um um grenahan grenahan thank you um that format even though those two cards were very strong and people were complaining that they needed to be adjusted and they did end up being adjusted so that format had such a depth of synergy that it did not feel very stagnant mm-hmm. there was a lot of different things happening yes like a felon control deck was like just a strong contender always but that didn't necessarily mean that it was the only duck. There was just a lot of different things that you could um yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I like the the way you frame that. And I guess how how I'd respond is that that's what I I I feel like ideally a bigger expedition would do. It would yeah. it would maybe you know, maybe using the term poles was wrong, but but like maybe it would make like this current expedition, which has these few clearly identified poles, but then it doesn't have the depth of card pool to allow these emergent synergies to occur. And so if you widen expedition, you know, maybe yeah. that's what it does is it, it, it sort of dilutes the poles a little bit. So you still have these poles of clearly pushed cards because that'll happen. But then there's the, the card pool is wide enough then that you have these emergent synergies, but, but it's not so wide that it turns into what throne is where it's just like the, the, these synergies are now so powerful. It's the only thing you can do. And you sort of, these synergies now become the poles. And so I, yeah, that's a no. You make a good point. I don't know that I've considered it deep. You know, it's it's very likely that that it could be the right answer. It could be something that improves improves that format. Um, I'm not I'm not sure. That's it's very interesting. I'll definitely be thinking about that. Um, after after our episode here, yeah, um, I'll probably be reflecting reflecting on that question uh, quite a bit. Yeah, and I just think maybe it'll give a home to some of these people that are now dissatisfied with Throne, but also dissatisfied with Expedition in its current form. Um, but I do think that maybe this should become a two-part episode. <laughs> it it may need to at this point, because we haven't even talked about our, uh, our actual uh, card at hand here. So I opened up Pandora's box. No, I, I think that's great. I, like we... I love talking about eternal. So like, you know, you know, like the, the show notes are like the plan for the episode is more 
a general guideline, but like, I, I, I love having discussions like that. Yeah. I, I guess for the benefit of the listeners too, the reason why I, I thought that talking about combo was relevant was because Vara and kind of going back to our card at hand here, Vara was changed between when we started writing the show notes for, for this episode uh, and starting building the initial decks for it and what it is now. And uh, if I can quick, kind of quickly go into the, the actual card at hand, so Vara's Deathmaster, six costs to shadow 4-4 four, four unit that says when an enemy unit dies, Vara gets its battle skills. And then the part that actually changed, which was summon a uh, non-sign unit um, and play it from your void initially, and uh, it became summon a non-Vara unit and play it from your void the reason that combo was relevant was because as it was originally worded, if you changed Vara's unit type, it was able to sacrifice itself, which created an, um, an infinite loop where you could just keep sacrificing herself to herself um, and make her into a nine, nine, nine attack, nine, nine, nine defense unit, which is, Kind of, you could do that indefinitely, essentially, uh, up to. Uh, I don't know if how many people know this, but Eternal has a free card limit, as they say. So it allows you to play 50, 50 free cards, and then it the game stops uh, you from doing any any more actions. It just stops your turn. So um, the way that Vara was worded allowed you. There were quite a few different combinations where you could change her unit. Type um, and then basically have this loop that you could do. Um, so I, I, that's originally kind of why we branched off into the topic of combos in general, um, I think because it was adjusted as a card to make that not possible, and now it's more of a just a synergy sacrifice of effect uh, to what it was initially. One of the interesting things about that is I think some people were a little upset that it they killed the synergy but um i we think that part of the problem was that there was like a game breaking bug yeah with what some ways you could pull that combo off yeah i can i can talk about it a little bit more cuz i actually submitted feedback about it. i'm not sure if they changed it just solely because of my feedback if that was a plan change that they had. But um, the listeners will notice some uh, common, uh, common, common actors here. But I was working with Apple Chips and uh, Random on some conceptual ideas of how we can take this combo and make it like more competitive. And what we realized is that you could abuse the game mechanics themselves so eternal has uh some sometimes some pretty delayed animations that happen and while the animations are happening you can't really do anything um so you were able to when you were doing this kind of combo where you looped vara to herself you could abuse it um by adding some additional animations to basically make it so that 
you sacrificed her so many times to hit the free card limit, but by the time the animations actually resolved, it timed you and your opponent out multiple turns, and what ended up happening was your opponent would lose the game. So you could get into a sequence where you could sacrifice Vara the 50 times, but by the time that actually happened, your opponent couldn't do anything this entire time, and they would just have to watch Vara loop until they lost the game. So when we realized that that was possible, I opened up a feedback um, a feedback ticket to DWT, and I, and, and I let them know about this kind of interaction and that it was abusable. And I had concerns that if it was discovered more broadly that it would it would be very unhealthy to the game it would not it's not very fun and it's it's kind of open to abuse um to intentionally win the game and kind of lock out your opponent from being able to do anything and yourself but ultimately they lose so yeah so i don't know if it's because of because of my feedback that it was changed or it was just something that wasn't intended in in their initial design and they sort of adjusted it to be closer to what they intended for the card yeah so i think that's that was sort of the impetus of a lot of this combo um talk that we ended up having which i i found very interesting i hope the the listeners also did um but also since they did change it and now it's less of a combo card and uh more of a synergy or value card i think uh, Vara still does have space to explore. And so I think this episode, we are uh, clearly not doing this. <laughs> I, <laughs> I need to go to bed. And uh, we, we're running... Uh, I, I think we had a full, dis- a full episode's worth of discussion about combo decks there, but um, I'm hoping we will be able to talk soon uh, in the next episode and we can finally dive into... Um, these decks that uh, you've brewed around uh, the new Vara. Yeah, it would be my pleasure. Uh, it's a very interesting card, and I think uh, kind of uh, going back to our uh, something that we said a little earlier in the episode of there's all there's all these old decks that you know are just waiting for new cards to to kind of arrive to refresh them, and I think that's kind of what I did with uh, some of my deck submissions here is is kind of like bring bring up some former decks with this new card kind of addition to kind of breathe a little bit of new life into oh my gosh we can't even have this next episode did you take roto scavenger out of one of your decks um you did i mean it was unbelievable straight i can't even believe i had you on this podcast tonight it was in there because it was infinite damage with with borrow but it kind of lost its Luster after no, that? No, you're still sacrificing things. You're still sacrificing Grenadine. I mean, I can put it back in the deck. It's not that that big of a lift. Okay. It's like my... F- it had... Uh, <laughs> it had Roto Scavenger and it also... The, uh, uh, when a, when a Grenadine dies, it just you deal one damage to the opponent. Yeah, the two cost so was, one. The two cost two. Damage. Yeah, in, infinite damage with, with Vara sacrificing itself. That's kind of where I was going with it. No, nah, uh, yeah, I <laughs> that was sweet. I was I was hoping it would still survive uh, some revisions after the bar. It, it can be in there. I, we can we can keep. Okay, well we'll find out 
next episode, whether it makes its way back in. Um, and you'll be able to tell as soon as the episode starts on whether you hear Straight's voice or not. <laughs> and this time we don't have a special guest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming on and recording this episode with me again. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Shall we have a good night? Uh, yeah. You want to thank our, our patrons? Patrons, yeah. O- okay. I do. I, I'm always very uncomfortable thinking our patrons, uh, since I, I never understand why people support the show, but I do really appreciate everyone who does, especially as these shows have gotten uh, less frequent, less consistent, and I've uh, bait and switched everyone by turning into a constructed podcast. Um, but uh, thank you for everyone who continues to sort support the show, uh, including D-Dub, uh, John, Demo, Steve Irwin, Cotillion, Low-Key Trickster, Mercurio Blue, Abednego, Meagles, Madness, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Homerid, Raven Dragon, Esrich0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yes Stout. Thank you for supporting the show, helping uh, pay for all the costs of hosting the podcast and stuff. Uh, we really appreciate it. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs>